Hello and welcome to the Joe's Art History Podcast, a podcast which celebrates all things art historical every single day. Welcome back and today it is episode 18 and this one is a little bit different today. This week I sat down with art historian and artist Ali Zlatar for a really thought-provoking discussion all around the use of animals in contemporary art and the moral questions that this can provoke. From artists living in pig pens and floating sharks and tanks to fish in blenders and painted elephants. Ali and I talk about the lack of clarity around using both live and dead animals in art and the questions around the ethics and morality of using animals that can arise. We explore if it's ever okay to kill an animal for the sake of art and why these works, although shocking, are really, really important at making us not only reflect on our values, but think about how we take action against certain things, but not others. So Ali and I are going to be looking at three artists in particular today who have used animals very differently and have approached the the issue of using animals in art very, very differently. And this is Murray Kim, Damien Hurst, of course, and an artist called Marco Evaristi. Now, word of warning, when we start to speak about Marco, it's about the 25 minute mark and his piece is quite shocking, so it can upset some people, but it's just, uh, so it's just a sort of trigger warning, if you will. But I want to thank Ali, this is a really interesting topic and something that I really had never considered before. And particularly some of someone like Damien Hurst, who we all know so well for using animals in art, how he acquires his animals is very controversial and sparks a lot of questions and debate. And I would really love to know once you've listened to this, where you stand on using animals in art. Anyway, it's a really educational talk. It's very thought provoking. And yeah, I think it's very evident that throughout the whole podcast, I myself, I'm still sort of wrestling with things that I had read and really trying to sort of piece together how I feel and I don't know, kind of trying to seek answers for things that really aren't very clear. But I really hope you enjoy it. This was such an interesting chat and another example of just how varied and amazing the history of art is and the questions that can arise and Anyway, just sit back and relax as Ali and I discuss the complex moral issues of animals in contemporary art. I think first and foremost, my question for this is when you responded to uh, my ad and I read your proposal, I was like, this is so interesting because as an art historian, I haven't really thought about this topic in great depth which is really sort of a feeling on my part and like from the research that I've done for this podcast I've found it so interesting and it's taught me a lot about particular artworks and made me look at particular things in a very very different way from what I have so I think really my first sort of long-winded way into my first question is what got you interested in this topic? Yeah, I guess like for me, um, I, um, I've been a vegan for about 10 years now, and I always had an interest in how animals come into art, and they're essentially um, the way that art and 
historians tend to like approach animals. So in our normal lives, there's so many current ethical debates about animals in zoos, animals in research, but not so many conversations are held within animal ethics within our contemporary art practice. So I started looking at my own university's policies at the time, and I realized there was just like two sentences on the subject matter, but I felt like this was such a prevalent issue. And when you examine artists like Damien Hirst or like Mira Kim, you realize there's such a diversity of way that we can handle animals within contemporary art. So it just essentially ignited this whole entire like field of study to see what's out there, which is surprisingly not much. Yeah, no, it's it's so, so interesting that you say that because it's really, it's even this, like you've said, this sort of ethical question of can you use animals in art? It's something that I've never even thought about. I mean, you, you're an artist yourself. Did you train? So you said you went to Glasgow School of Art. Was that, um, was that a fine art degree or was that an art history degree? What was it that, that got you thinking? Was it to use something practically? Yeah, I guess like a little bit about my background is um, I did my undergrad in visual art. So I studied at Queen's University in Canada. Mm -hmm. And then my master's was in um, curatorial research and contemporary art with the Glasgow School of Art. And now I'm doing my doctorate with the University of Southern Queensland in Australia. And that's a doctorate of creative art. So it's a fine art oriented uh, research. And although it's on a different subject matter altogether. (laughs) So um let's kind of get into this then so the first artwork that you sent me was by an artist called Muri Kim and can you just for the listeners at home can you just sort of describe what the sort of concept of this this piece is yeah so um for those of you who don't know Muri Kim she's a performance artist by trade and her um work called the pig therefore I am is a performance piece where she spent I believe a couple days immersed in a whole entire pig farm and she was completely nude and she lived like pigs and just essentially felt that connectedness with the animals and when she was there she just essentially let down her guard and embraced animals and overall this piece is something very interesting in terms of contemporary art because she's respecting the animal's autonomy then also engaging with them, I think, at a like-minded level. She was quoted once saying that when she looked into the eyes of, like, the pigs, she just, like, felt that connection with them. And I think that's something very interesting, where it was more than just an art piece. It was more of an interactive engaging with the animals. Yeah, it's it's a really, really interesting concept. So I had read that, as well as obviously being an art student, or an artist, rather, she was at med school for a little bit as well, and that she... That, they used to dissect pigs and it was during that time that she realized that anatomically humans and pigs are very very similar and it's a really really interesting concept when you see the images of this installation because there's times for me personally where I had to kind of really look for her within these pig pens and it just kind of really got me thinking about how similar animals and, and humans are, we're both, you know, we're, we're living, breathing things. But by her sort of inserting herself into these pens, it made me kind of think, is, is that a form of cruelty that she's sort of mixing in amongst them? Or is the cruelty there that these animals are being sort of cooped up and sort of restrained? Because it's a really sort of dirty industrial um, sort of farm and pen that she's in. Um, and it's really, yeah, I mean, I don't know, what were your what are your thoughts on on the work and what kind of questions that it poses yeah i think that um 
what we really need to understand is that when we're trying to understand the point of animals in art, we need to try to identify the rights of animals in contemporary society. And while really, even if they exist, when you're trying to examine an art, I really think it's important to examine their ethical status in relation to the art. So unfortunately in art, I don't think there can be a way to have a societal change. You kind of like art is more commenting on it mm. directly. So the problem is, is that when you're trying to understand like how do the animals feel and how are the animals engaging with this in this piece I feel like they're more I think indifferent to her and they just treat her like-minded which I think more explores their relationship and what she's trying to get out of it is a better understanding of them and so I think there's less of a power dynamic at play but rather it's more examining the interaction between artists and animal. Yeah, I, I would completely agree with you. It's really, really interesting. And then it was also, she restaged it and performed it live at an art fair as well on a much smaller scale where it was just a heart and a pig for a hundred or so hours during um, Art Miami in 2011. And I've like, yeah, I really, it's really, really interesting the whole idea of how an animal feels. And I think looking into this subject, it's, there isn't, kind of like what you what we said when you started talking there really isn't much legislation on like sort of the right way to, to to use animals and like you said you have to sort of think about their well-being while they're while they're being used um what is interesting for me in the second piece that you sent me which is the Damien Hurst which is I think is the one that everyone knows Damien for the physical impossibility of death in the mind of someone living, which is the shark in formaldehyde. But for me, what's so interesting with that is I always I always assumed that the animal had already died. I didn't realise that Damien Hurst had paid a fisherman in Australia to actively seek out a large shark and kill it for the purposes of this piece. Yeah, yeah. For you, how... How does that differ from, because people could look at sort of Mary Kim and think, oh, well, she's, she might have made them, she might have made the pigs a bit unsettled. I, I personally stand with you. I, I think it's quite interesting how they, they kind of blend together and she kind of becomes part of, I, I don't even know what the collective term for, for pigs is, you know, part of the pack of, of pigs within <laughs> this farm. Um, but we, what, how does it differ from what Damien's done? What's the sort of the, the issue around there? I think there's so many different arguments going on when you're trying to examine the role of animals within art. In terms of, of course, killing a life in the concept of art is something that should we completely forbid or should we examine as is? Because I feel like there's currently two different debates going on with animal ethics in contemporary art. It's the fact that one side of it's completely on compassion ethics. So saying we must treat these animals with like complete respect and autonomy and we must like nurture them. And if they're in our care, then like we shouldn't ever treat them this way and we shouldn't subject them to art because it's not meaningful to them. But there's a completely other end of the spectrum, which is I feel like the independent artist. And the more you tell them not to do something, they're going to want to do it. So that's why I feel like even Damien Harris has challenged and pushed these ideas further and further. But in terms of 
how art itself can be utilized as a medium for exploring life, I feel like this piece actually does an amazing job at it because art can capture the emotion and vivid representation of the human experience in ways that words cannot. When you're looking at this piece, there's something to be said about the value of authenticity and the role of experiencing it. Of course, the sculpture invokes true human fear when someone gazes directly into the eyes of the shark. Whereas like the juxtaposition between the once living and vibrant shark and now like the lifeless, like minimalistic remains, which is being like an inch away from the audience is also such a profound experience. But really it's just trying to examine is the, the whole entire piece is really focusing on the reality of death and the vulnerability of the body. And it reminds of you or how I feel like we're so close to always death and it's just a conscious reminder of our own mortality. And do you think that if it wasn't an actual shark, could it have that same impact on someone? Well, that's the thing, because even Hurst himself said that because there was an issue with the first shark in that the formaldehyde solution, this is when he first started using sort of formaldehyde, he didn't preserve the shark as well as he does now. Obviously, he sort of mastered the technique as he's continued to sort of use this medium throughout the years. But the shark actually started to disintegrate and they replaced so they so they took it um so the piece was commissioned by charles Satchi in 1991 and it was so with by about 97 98 the shark had started to sort of disintegrate and it was taken out of the solution and it was this it was skinned and the skin was then put on a fiberglass shark and when it was put back in her said it just didn't have the same impact it just didn't hold the same weight and I think you're right, this is what's so interesting about this piece. So I've never seen this one in real life myself, but I have seen one where it was uh, a sheep and yeah, she, um, they had like golden hoofs. It was, it was really incredible. And until I actually saw one in real life, I was like, I don't really understand the whole, this whole animal thing. And I completely get the whole idea of it's literally death sort of staring you in the face, but with the shark, because it's such a huge, powerful you know, creature, everyone, you know, everyone's seen Jaws, we're all terrified if you get into the sea at a certain point that something like that could happen to you. It's, I don't know, it's a really interesting thing, but because it didn't hold the same weight when it wasn't an actual animal, what he then did was go to the same fisherman and get him to kill yet another animal. So yeah, that for me is, it's so funny because it's only really, researching for this discussion that I've kind of found that and I'm sort of still sort of tussling with it myself how do I feel about it I mean there's that aspect of you know one death for a, a greater good and and that it's spreading a huge big message but I don't know I think I think morally because a life not just one life two lives have been taken that's that's strange to me but, yeah, absolutely, and it's it, and it's wrong. And then, but D but Damien, he always uses not always, but he he's known for sort of using life and sort of living animals as well within his pieces. He's got a piece called um, "In and Out of Love." Have you heard of this one? Yeah, and I think um, it's really similar to I think um, for the love of God um, by him. Mm -hmm. Uh, where that one's actually using a human skull. Mm, yeah, mm -hmm. with the, the, the sort of, this is the jewel encrusted the, skull. Mm -hmm. And I think that um, 
I, of course, like many people have ethical issues with um, Damien and hers, but I think as objectively, the first animal was, I think, morally just in the facts that it was a utilitarian approach. It was just arguing one way for the sense that this animal caused like such a tremendous impact within the art world, but also really examined us and how we treat animals and also the whole entire story of it which is something that brought a lot of value. But then there's other people such as like Thomas Regan, who um, said that like the value of art does not come even close to the subjective value of life. So it's really just trying to respect the animal's inherent value and their owed respect as a matter of justice. But again, it's kind of saying that what is actually ethical, where, um, his use of butterflies, like you were showing before, was, I, I believe, um, he's also used live butterflies and live animals. Yeah. So it's, um, it's completely interesting how he can just switch from, like, life and death and then play with these elements. But then do you really think art is such a justifiable way for people to have control over animals in this regard? Well, so it's really, again... I, I don't really know where I stand on it because if I think of, so for example, just to explain to people at home, so In and Out of Love, so this was actually an exhibition that happened in London and it, it was also recreated for his 2012 Tate um, retrospective. And it was, it's a room which was uh, filled with white canvases and on the white canvases, he put sort of like sugar water and then placed butterfly pupae which is the sort of collective term or the correct term for cocoons which I, I just assumed butterflies came out of cocoons so I, I feel like I've been completely lied to my whole life that's what they go into as a caterpillar but <laughs> when they've completely transformed and ready to come out as a butterfly it's called a pupa and the collective term is pupae so just passing that on that's kind of blown my mind this morning but so he attached these to canvases and then sort of filled the room with flowers and bowls bowls of fruit and then the sort of the butterflies sort of started to sort of hatch and come out and then they would feed and they would nest they would sort of lay eggs and then they would sort of die and which I think is that is that really cruel or is but then again I think when I was little there used to be a butterfly house that my mum and dad took us to all the time and we loved it and is that not essentially the same the same thing that he's doing he's just kind of showing you like the life cycle of of these creatures but then what he would do with the dead butterflies and what he does do is he uses the dead butterflies in his paintings where he picks off the 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 wings and arranges them on these incredible sort of kaleidoscope effect butterfly um sort of creations and Fun fact again, kaleidoscope is the collective term for um, a group of butterflies. So that's why they're sort of kaleidoscope. That's why they're called kaleidoscopes. But it's... Um, oh, interesting. I never knew that. Yeah. So which, again, yeah. blew my mind. I've learned quite a lot learning for this, <laughs> learning for this sort of chat. <laughs> but it's... um, So I don't know. So it's... it's I, I feel like it's, it's not really sat with me long enough. I feel that, like you said, the first killing is unjustified. I also, I, I don't know about and the second one, the, the first killing, sorry, I would say is justified. Is it justified? It's had a huge impact. So probably, yes, sort of one for the greater good. But the second killing, I do think 
maybe he should have put his hands up and said, eh, well, that's that's a temporary piece. Yeah. Well, that's it. And that's and that's in a way, you know, the life cycle of a piece, because there's plenty of artworks that, for example, they've, you know, they've been left outside or they've been, you know, in a living with a smoker, for example, a smoker has bought them and they've been sort of damaged beyond repair with smoke damage. And that's kind of like the life cycle of the piece as well. It's been damaged through either exposure to the elements or forces sort of, you know, outside the artwork's control. And that's all part of an artwork story. So I don't really, I don't know. It's just made me think really differently about Hearst as an artist, because I just always assumed that he, he worked with tax, you know, taxidermy. Taxidermist, yeah. yeah. I think, though, in the sense that what we know now about animals and ethics, the fact that he should have probably gone to a taxidermist before, even just this year idea of like going and killing an animal, because he could have achieved that same outcome without actually harming an animal directly. Well, that's it. And that that kind of poses the question, why didn't he? Was that was it all? Was that also the whole idea of killing an animal part of the whole staged process of the artwork? Would it not have meant, would it not have had as a bigger impact if he had just sourced it from, like you say, a taxidermy or taxidermist or a collection somewhere? It's yeah. So- no, I was just going to say there's, um, there's many other artists. Like, um, if you ever heard of Angela Singer, um, she does like um, vintage recycled taxidermy with um, normally like uh, wildlife such as like fawns and foxes. And she puts like vintage encrusted jewels in them. And then David Shrigley also uses a taxidermy puppy in one of his pieces where it's showing that you can still use animals after their life. But at the same time, again, other people could possibly debate that is it even not ethical, but is it dignified for these animals after their death? Is this something that they would want? Is it bringing justice and awareness to the animal species or is it just for our entertainment and our knowledge as humans and artists? Well, that's it. And it's, it's, a, it's a really huge question for, I think, two people to sort of hash out between each other at, <laughs> at 9am on a, on a Sunday morning. But it's, it's so interesting. Um, so I didn't know that Shrigley used um, taxidermy. I mean, I, my own sort of personal experience, I work with a, with a sculptor called George Taylor. And she uses bird feathers, but she works on a farm. She lives and works on a farm and uses the birds from the farm, but once they've sort of died naturally, or she goes to taxidermy collections and purchases them, and then uses the feathers from there. But because of the types of feathers that she uses, for example, kingfishers, so kingfishers, for people that don't know, are these tiny, tiny little sort of birds, they're very beautiful, but she'll have huge, big scrolling pieces that are made completely from kingfisher feathers. And those pieces from when we had our show at, um, at Pangolin London, which is the gallery that I work for, people were really 50-50 about it. They didn't mind if it was pheasant feathers or crow feathers or blackbird feathers, that didn't bother them. But the fact that this animal was so tiny, even though it had died, it didn't sit with them very well because of the scale of them. And it made them think of how many have died through different causes, be that naturally or otherwise. So it's, I don't know, it's so interesting, but for me, I would say once they've died, then surely that's just you sort of using them in a different, in a different way. But then again, it's the ethics of, but then again, they don't know though that they're dead or is that just very ignorant of me? I think though, um, 
the fact is that animals can't really express their views because like if someone like wants like a human rights in writing saying like I want to be launched into a rocket afterwards or I want to donate my body to science afterwards humans have that ability to express it where animals are kind of at the mercy of I guess humans once they die I guess is it really fair when you're thinking about how we treat the dead versus how we treat like human life I think that's on a similar playing ground. But I feel like in art, there's been many examples of, like even in Damien Hirst's own work, where he also equates human death with the, for the love of God, like crystallized skull and also animal death. So I feel like he's less, I don't want to say sinister in the sense that he's using animal life, but he's also, I think, making it equal by using human life. Although it gets ethical, again, with the use of a human child skull and some of his other pieces. So um, it's just showing overall how using actual living things in art really needs to be handled a lot more, I think, um, delicately, but also meticulously for essentially the future of art and art's practice. Um, I think there's a piece that we are eventually going to hopefully talk yeah. about mm-hmm. called Helen. Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. Should we just write into that one? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Can I just say that I I didn't really know what to do when I read about this piece when you sent it to me. It was one of these few times that an artwork is maybe kind of like get up and sort of walk around and be like, I don't I don't actually know how that sits with me. So um, just tell us a little bit about the artist and or just who the artist is and what the piece was. Can you set the scene for us? Oh, yeah, sure. Um, so the piece was called Helena. And, um, it's basically a work by Marco Evaristi, I believe. I don't know how to pronounce his last name. Oh, I'm the same. I, th- I think it's Evaristi. <laughs> yeah, we'll try. We'll try. Um, so basically, he placed uh, 15 goldfish and 15 blunders and filled them with water. The blunders were visibly plugged in and posed to the viewers um, to possibly end the fish's life with a push of a button. So the audience had the power basically to essentially kill fish during the exhibition. And I believe during the exhibition, two fish were killed by the participants. Um, so not only were the lives of the two fish consciously ended, but it was also the preservation of them in the exhibition in these blunders. That was an issue because there was no stimulus and the freedom was restricted for these fish's existence. So it's really helping us just examine how I don't want to say how drastic art can get but how extreme and how powerful and how I think really harming it is to animals in the utilized within the art practice well that's it because like you said two animals were were liquidized and it was at the power of the people that entered the gallery not the artist themselves you know like you could essentially play god and kill these animals if you wanted to and I just feel the fact that you knew exactly I read this really great article that was like you know the blenders were visibly plugged in so right away you knew what the rules of the game were you could press on and liquidize the the animal or you could be a spectator and watch somebody or you could be the person that sort of morally stands back and says this is wrong this is wrong and it's I mean, how did you come across this piece and how, how do you, how does this ethically for you sit? And what kind of questions uh, does the piece pose? Yeah. Huge, huge, obviously, but. 
yeah, I guess like originally I came across this piece when I was doing research about animal ethics within contemporary art because this piece was, I believe, shut down within like 15 days or two weeks of showing it. And there was just so much uproar about it. Although like when I first saw the piece, I was thinking, yes, you can press the blunder, but if it's interactive, why don't you unplug it as well? Or why don't you do yeah. something about yeah. like just something to make it overall better for them rather than just the two people. I, I would love to interview them and ask them why they actually did it. And if they're not in jail I, for doing something else already. <laughs> oh, I know. Those are future serial killers. Oh, really. totally. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but then I think like the real issue is whether the intent to employ harm is justifiable. Um, I think that the fact that every sea killed two fish, do you think that two fish should also have the opportunity to have an equally enjoyable life? Or the fact that um, none of the animals' moral rights were intent or like were inherently respected. And so it's not fair to them to have that existence. But I love the fact that art is controversial and it's making us have these conversations. And if this piece didn't exist, then like, I feel like I would be missing so much from the art world. I feel like it wouldn't have challenged us. It wouldn't have pushed us this way to even examine what role of animals should have in art world, but also how do we value life as a whole? So I'm torn because I love this piece because it stirs controversy. But then on the other hand, I'm like, this is so morally wrong. Why am I drawn to this? <laughs> well, that's it. And there's this very, I think it's just like a morbid fascination that people genuinely hold though. And it's been that way throughout art, you know, throughout the history of art, there's always these sort of little tidbits and sort of, you know, reminders that you are mortal and to sort of live your life. And I think this is essentially what he's trying to, to sort of play with here and how quickly it can be taken from you and completely out of your control but I I just think it's I don't know like I, it's it's like you said it's an incredible piece but why could you not have cut the power to it and then just like recorded like you know and just said to people oh it's it, they are plugged in they didn't have to actually be plugged in there's a lot of ways but again it comes back to that sort of you know one for the greater good in this case too it sparked yeah. a huge conversation and um, I found this really great article and I'll leave it in the show notes below for anyone that's listening that wants to sort of read this and it's an interview with the artist and it's published in this in this paper and then they've continued to add responses to people who have written in even years after this article has been published so it's just <laughs> screeds and screeds and screeds and it really divides people 50 50 but um, there's a really interesting quote in it that um so the, the journalist essentially asks the artist, is it ethical to use live animals in art? And the artist is quoted as saying, I believe that sometimes it can be necessary to sacrifice one means for the sake of another. In this case, it was the lives of fishes that were at stake. To be honest, people's harsh reactions surprise me as we, in my opinion, are surrounded by problems that are so much more serious than what we encounter with every evening watching the news. It worries me that we are passive in such fronts of these news and that my art piece created such a start instead. If people find that my use of live goldfish in my art piece is unethical, I would invite them to have a closer look at themselves and the world we live in. Yeah, I think that actually really hones in on the, the whole entire point of the fact that like art is such an important element 
and just is a reflection of the world around us. Well, that's it. That's it. And like you said, you know, there is the, the ethics of our, you know, I mean, it's the whole idea of what Mary Kim was trying to show, you know, animals and humans can sort of live and, and work in, in tandem. But also they, they can aid in art so much more in helping sort of convey a message. Um, but I, yeah. think, I think, I don't know, I think my big question is, what are the ethics around here? Because this piece was, was made in 2000. And like you said, um, when was it that you studied and, and that you looked into sort of your idea of using animals within art, within your institution? What was, what sort of date was that? So roughly around like 2017 to 2019 was when the, the main chunk of research was undergo. <laughs> okay, and what have you found sort of ethics-wise across sort of because surely um, arts councils and humanity research councils, surely surely they have ethic policies on this. Because I know, for example, when we sell a George Taylor, like I said earlier, as the artist who works with feathers, for example, kingfishers in some countries are considered an endangered species. And therefore, they're not allowed in unless you can prove that these feathers were ethically sourced and an animal wasn't harmed in the making of the piece. So, I mean, what have you found across the board? Do, do sort of do different countries differ? Do is there, or is there sort of like a, a set rules for everybody? I mean, what have you found in your the research? <laughs> the problem is, is that there is really next to none, even to this day. Like, of course, endangered animals are always protected more, but the fact that they have to get to that point for them to even be considered. I think though, in terms of how art galleries and institutions handle them is normally through a very scientific lens. So they essentially apply the same um, methodologies and policies that they have for um, say laboratory research or for uh, medical research with animals. But that doesn't really equate to how they can be considered in art. I think some of the main things that people are looking at is the utilitarian approach to how you use animals within contemporary art. So take um, Evaristi's piece. So why did he choose 15 goldfish? Could he have choose the same, and well, could he have had the same impact with only using four or five goldfish? Like what was so significant about 15? So you really have to be clear of your intentions in art with animals, but also focus on why you're doing this and have a very strong motive and rationale. I don't think you should be handling animal lives, rather they're alive and interacting in a piece or if they're dead with like, I don't think like reckless care. Yeah, well, that's it. I mean, but what's so interesting about Everesti's piece is that it really sort of dances that fine line between um, abuse and, and neglect and and everything else but then also a very important message but I also think he really wasn't it wasn't it wasn't distinctively clear it's only really after reading this article and these hundreds of responses which is it's called the goldfish thread that's how long it is it's just it's humongous um I don't know if he was if he was clear and and uh, the gallery that he showed it in was fined and then it was also he restaged it in Austria in 2006 and it caused such a stir that people actually broke into the gallery at night and shut it down like took the fish away 
No, I think that's just, I love how society is interacting with the art because it really shows people's values for animal life. And the fact that they're engaging with art is showing how art's having an impact. Yeah, I mean, I read somewhere, I think it's the, hold on, let me see if I can find the quote. This is when, this is when I can't find it. Um, mm. So I can't find it exactly on here, but I've sort of scribbled it down in my best handwriting says, and it's, mm-hmm. it essentially says, just because an animal does not initially appear disturbed does not mean that they are. And it, it was essentially saying that when you when you bring an animal into a space, like a live animal, for example, it, uh, using a live animal in art, it's even sort of the, the, the very act of sort of displacing it in an environment that it's not used to can be viewed as cruel. Yeah, and I think that, um, I think whether they know it or not, that they're being looked at in, say, an art gallery setting, say if a dog was just left to, like, walk around an exhibition space with food and water, but the fact that they're viewed through that lens, is that really something that's, I don't want to say, like, a dignified existence, but is that really the best for that animal's welfare? Mm, well, that that's it, because it's, I mean, if it's with somebody, you know, if it's with its owner and it's allowed to sort of walk around, then it's better. But yeah, it's it's a really, really interesting thing to think about. So something, another thing that I've found in sort of researching for this podcast is that, I mean, of course, there's hundreds of examples of when artists have used live artists, live animals, rather, um, within art. And one which really surprised me was Banksy when he in 2006 have you heard of this um no I'm thinking of Banksy's 2013 Sirens of the Lambs but that's something we can also get into what's that sorry Banksy's Sirens of the Lambs but that was a piece that he did um it was going around New York and it was replicating um what do you call it? Um, like those chicken coop trucks or those like animal trucks you see okay. when you're like driving mm-hmm. along the highway and you fill them up with like stuffed robotic animals. And then you hear them like mooing and almost like screaming. And so then like, it's rather a reflection of how you could like represent animal cruelty. And also just, it's, it's an amazing video. You can see how he just like recorded it and just going around and seeing people's reaction you see like little kids get scared or excited by it because you think these animals are like fun and playful but then you like hear them and you just are like such in shock at it (laughs) so it's another way to show animal ethics without actually having to use animals which is yeah I've never I've never heard of that piece so the 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 piece that I that I had had come across is called um I really need to get better at handwriting. This is absolutely terrible. Um, so the piece that I'm referring to is called Barely Legal. And it happened in 2006 in LA. And he used um, essentially a, li- well, a live elephant. And he painted the elephant completely head to toe to blend in with the wallpaper right. that was yeah. um, in the exhibition space. And it was supposed to be essentially um you know a physical representation of the elephant in the room that old phrase and that there were so many people living below the poverty line but it caused I think the exhibition was only on for about two weeks and it caused such a stir that on the last day of the exhibition so they painted this elephant and it was used every day in this exhibition but on the last day there had been such an uproar that they took the paint off the elephant and just had the elephant in the room 
but the the owners of the elephant said that you know he was used on movie sets and he was really used to makeup and it wasn't cruel at all but when you when you see the elephant in this context of the exhibition it just I don't know it didn't it doesn't sit well with me but then knowing that it had a background this is this is going to sound really strange it had a background in being like exposed and used to sort of films and makeups and large crowds of people kind of almost as if it was sort of justifiable in some way and because it was so impactful as using that animal that it it helped spread this message whether or not what good it did in terms of like people taking action against this cause I don't know but I don't know it's it's so funny how when someone goes oh no but they're so used to it because they've, they've done this movie and this movie and x y and z I don't know it's a it's a funny one I don't how do you how does how do you feel about that immediately I didn't know the fact that you said um when he was actually used to being performed um it reminded me of like child performers when their parents just send them to go to all these auditions and stuff like that so just because they're conditioned to do it doesn't mean they like it Mm -hmm. and it's something that I really think really just shows us like the diversity of ways that animals can be used in art like I think in that piece the elephant in the room isn't necessarily about the elephant but rather the conversation he's having around um, I think like also wordplay and then of course you're saying the poverty line so it's just something that really is saying that is that the most beneficial use of an animal do you think he could have done that with a robotic elephant instead could he have done it with just like um, a giant like even taxidermy made elephant or something that could have had that same effect if it's not directly involving an animal but would have it seemed shock fact shock factor or shock value well, yeah, well, that's it, because I, I don't think it would. I think the idea that this elephant was moving around, but camouflaged, is really would hits, hits home the point, perhaps better than what a taxidermist or taxidermy elephant would have. But then again, we wouldn't, we won't know because that's, it's never happened. And that piece was like that for the 14 days of its life cycle. And then, and now it's just, you know, immortalized in, in photographs and in, and essays and and things like that so it's I don't know it's it's really made me rack my brains and really question how I feel about animals and art and it's it's really made me look at a lot of things really differently so so I have to thank you for that it's a really interesting topic that I don't think gets enough airtime really I mean how have you found it sort of researching it do you feel that there's a wealth of material on it do you feel there's a real big gap and sort of regulations and and, and also people sort of having these conversations? I think though within the last couple of years people are starting to have conversations but in terms of regulations and institutional policies they're still in the groundworks because it's something that within the last 20 years animals have been placed more within the museum like current context so it's something that we're really trying to handle as it comes up but then the fact that if you tell an artist no it's going to make them want to do it even more so we're as a whole trying to fill in what ways can we just handle it as a whole and how can we essentially respond to animal-centric art and where should they be shown how should they be treated and the fact that it's such a wide topic it's going to need a lot more attention 
Yeah, absolutely. Well, good thing you're doing your PhD on it. So there's plenty. <laughs> there's oh plenty. yeah, there's tons of time. <laughs> That's yeah. amazing. So you're entering like your final your final year of um, PhD, so dissertation. So I'm actually in my second year of three. So I'm I'm almost almost I can see the light. <laughs> oh, amazing. And um, yeah, that's great. Ali, thank you so, so much. Is there anything that you feel um, before we kind of sign off? Is there anything that you feel that you haven't mentioned yet? That's a point that you really kind of want people to that listeners at home to think about or consider when they when they look at these things? Yeah, um, I think just right now we just laid about the gap the groundwork for the conceptual ideas that could actually help advance animal ethics within contemporary art but I really think people need to have more conversations so do more research and really look into the artworks we discussed today because I think that they're so interesting and the more people talk about it the more we can really uncover what is the essentially the heart of the issue which is how do we treat the animals but yeah, um, I guess thank you for having me. It's been lovely. Oh my goodness. Thank you so much. I feel like you have completely like widened my eyes to a whole kind of like underworld issue in the art world that I had really no idea about. But the more I've looked into it, there's, there's so many people on and things and animals that have been used. And it's a really, really interesting topic in, in, in every sense. And I do, you know, second what you said, please do go away. And, you know, use the show notes, which I'll publish below and look at these images, look at these artists. I'll leave this link to this artsy article, which is so interesting. And essentially I was I started reading it and within about 40 minutes of reading it, I wasn't even halfway through. Because essentially whenever they were talking about something, I found myself like going off and like ending up down some sort of like animals in art wormhole and then been like, oh, I need to finish this article and go back to it. It's a really <laughs> interesting, interesting read. And um, yeah, Ali, just thank you so, so much. Um, before you go, um, so there's one final question that I like to ask everybody or try and remember to ask everybody on the podcast. And you can take it as wide or as narrow as it is to you. But my question is, why is art important? Why is art important? I think for me, art has always really been about examining the human condition and what does it mean to understand our human experience. And I think art gives us a new lens into uncovering what it's really trying to focus on, which is the the life, the feelings, the intense, like profound, like, I guess, like curiosity and complexities of life. And I think that art to me just means exploration and it's something that I hopefully can continue to look into but it's yeah it's really all about I guess the human condition for me (laughs) amazing I I love asking people this question it just I just get such a varied response every time but amazing really beautifully put Ali before you go where can people find you and perhaps your writing and what you're up to where can where can everyone get in touch <laughs> uh yeah um my instagram's at ali cardone and my website is alizy at cargo site dot, i think it's just cargo dot site um i'm still working on it but yeah um i guess uh, keep in touch because i'd love to hear what you guys have to say about it yeah absolutely and you're an artist as well yeah yeah um painter by trade and i um i always use of course ethical products and 
you know, um, paintbrushes without the use of fur in it and stuff like that. <laughs> Keeps my values. Yeah, absolutely. Amazing. Ali, thank you so, so much for coming on. It's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you. And thank you once again for kind of opening my eyes. And I hope listeners at home, you've, you've learned a lot. I know I've learned absolute bucket loads, but it's been, it's been a pleasure to talk to you. Oh, thank you so much. <laughs> best of luck with the PhD. <laughs> thank you. All right. Thank you so much. Bye. Bye. And there you have it, the end of another episode of the Joe's Art History Podcast. I would once again like to thank Ali for coming on and speaking so honestly about this topic of using animals in contemporary art. It's like I said, it's such a thought-provoking subject and one, as I said in the podcast, that I hadn't ever really considered before. So I have to thank Ali once again for really bringing it to my attention and making me think about it and really uncover something within the history of art that I very much skipped over really Um, and of course you can't know everything but it just shows you you can always learn and I'm continuing to learn and the more that I do these podcasts that is just yeah happening more and more and more so thank you so much for a really wonderful chat If you'd like to get in touch and talk about anything that you've heard today, please feel free to do so. You can email me, joesarthistory at gmail.com or you can DM me on Instagram, which is at joesarthistory. Please make sure that you like, rate and subscribe to the podcast as it helps other listeners find us. Also, if you, while listening, have thought of someone that perhaps might benefit from listening to this or would be interested in this conversation at all, please do pass it on. It would be great to get more people listening. This podcast is also available to view on YouTube with subtitles. Finally, my name is Jo McLaughlin. I have been your host and your resident art historian for this episode. And I just want to thank you so much for listening. And I look forward to welcoming you next time on the Joe's Art History Podcast. Until then, keep learning and remember, art is for all. Bye.